So some of you will know, some of you won't. We've been looking at, we've just done a series on the first few chapters of Genesis. Um, and then we're doing a little mini-series kind of carrying on from that, looking at Noah, uh, Noah's Ark, um, and all of those events. So many of you will, um, will know of Noah's Ark. Most of you will know it. In, in all the kids' book, you put kids books, you get this picture of Noah's Ark, don't you? All, hang, all the animals are hanging out the doors and the windows, and everybody's smiling. Um, I went to find a kid's book just then. I walked to the back while, uh, while everyone was talking, while Les was doing the notices. And, uh, and you get this picture of Noah's Ark, don't you? All the nice smiling animals. And, and then you read the story, and I challenge you to reread the story. And that's not, really, that's not really what's happening in Noah's Ark. It's not a happy story of smiley people in an ark and smiley animals with their you can see hanging out the ark. It's actually quite a dark and, uh, and what's the word for it, and sort of challenging story. Um, I'd also challenge you to look at the film Noah, which isn't a Christian film. It's got Russell Crowe in it as Noah. And it's not for kids. It's not a kid's film. Some of you will have seen it. Um, we like it, don't we, Vex? We've watched it a few times. And it's, it's made by a non-Christian. It does take liberties with the story. But I tell you what, it gives you a look at Noah in a different way, and it may be a more realistic way than, than we might get from our Sunday school stories. Um, not that we shouldn't teach kids the stories, of course. It's good. Well, I'd better read it to you. Genesis 7, if you've got your Bibles. Turn to Genesis 7, or swipe to Genesis 7, open your app, or whatever you're using. Um, so it's the whole chapter, Genesis 7. And then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of, and, and seven pairs of clean animals, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth. Forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I've made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark, to escape the waters of the flood. Clean animals and all of the animals that are not clean and the birds and everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, and every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two, of all flesh in which there was breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh went in as God had commanded him. And God shut him in. 
The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all the flesh died and that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land, in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living creature that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of heavens. They were blotted out from the earth, and Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. And we read that whole passage for a reason, rather than breaking it up or whatever. Um, Not that I apologize for that. But if you look at the passage, you'll see here a story of God's judgment. It's a story of God's anger against sin and judgment of sin. And if you look carefully at the whole passage, as I just read it, you'll see that actually it's quite repetitious. It repeats itself a number of times throughout. So um, it's repeated that that Noah went into the ark with the the animals and then that God poured out um, the flood on the earth. Verses 2 to 5, 7 to 10, 13 to the beginning of 60, all repeat those, that story. It happens three times. Um, And this is quite normal for the kind of literature, those who know Old Testament literature, you see repetition, it's poetic, it, it, it creates a a kind of image of what's going on. Not that it didn't happen, but it's written in such a way that it it brings out a kind of poetic account. And if you look back at Genesis 1, there's the link. Genesis 1, repetition. Again, God said that it was good. The evening, the morning, whatever day, first day, second day. And this is done for a reason. We see it in our poetry too repetition, to make a point, to bring out the heart and the feeling of God and and what's going on in the story. And as God is about to restart the earth as kind of second creation with Noah and his family and the animals in the ark, we see that link to Genesis 1 with that poetic language. It's kind of creation 2, judgment day. It's the, the second creation account. And it emphasizes, the poetry emphasizing the righteous Noah above and next to the sinful world in which he lives. So you have Noah who's righteous and good, although not perfect, as we see later in the story, that someone else will take up at some point. Not perfect, but righteous before God and righteous in his generation compared to the other people. And so we see those people next to Noah. And we see that God will judge them. And we don't like this idea, do we, some of us, of God judging? Um, Because we kind of live in a world where we hear a nice positive message. We like positive messages. We like our Facebook to have positive messages and we like our news to be positive, even though it never is. 
You know, we like our, our positive thinking, our positive quotes. And a lot of the, the, some of the church's teaching on God these days is kind of a bit like fairy dust and rainbows. It's, it's, a, it's a happy God who loves everybody and is always smiling. And, uh, and he wouldn't do anything bad to anybody. He, he's very lovely, this nice God. Um, and to back that up, of course, is quoted, God is love. The oft quoted, often out of context, God is love. Now, God is love, okay? God is love. But that's not all God is. God is not a one-dimensional character. He's not uh, a character in a Michael Bay film. He's not, I, he's not a character that, that has no depth. Some of you will know what I mean if you've seen those films. He's, got, he's not a character with no depth. He's not a character that just is love, and that's it, and he's always nice and loving to everybody. God is deeper than that. So I want you to imagine that you've just met me. Some of you don't know me, most of you do, but you've just met me. And I tell you a joke and I make you laugh and you say, Paul is funny. So you think I'm funny. I pity you, but Paul is funny. And then on subsequent occasions, you, you continue to get to know me. You get to know my family, you get to know my daughter, you get to know my wife, you get to know me. You get to know a bit about me. And if someone asks you, What's Paul like? And all you can say is, Paul is funny. That would be a misrepresentation of me and what you know about me, because I'm not just funny. Even that's debatable. I'll leave that up to you. But, you know, I have other things about me. I have things that make me mad, things that make me sad. I like to have deep conversations. I love music. I love films. I've already mentioned films three times today. I love movies. I, I, I could sit and watch films all day. Big movie fan. There's more to me than just that I'm maybe funny, if that's what you think. And if you got to know me, and you said to that other person, oh yeah, Paul's funny, that's all you knew, that would be, it would be sad, really, because you wouldn't have actually spent time finding out more about me, even though you might have spent a lot of time with me. You wouldn't really know me very well at all, would you, if that's what you did? And yet that's what we do with God. God is love. But if we emphasize just that, we actually really don't know God very well, because that's only an aspect of his character. These multifaceted, God hates sin and injustice, and abuse, and the things that cause pain and death, because he's holy. And we're quite happy to, to want punishment for people who commit crimes, aren't we? You know, someone commits crime, they go to prison, and if they don't go to prison, that's injustice. But we don't give God the same right, sometimes, to hate what is unholy. We have the freedom to hate what is wrong, but we don't give God the same opportunity. Or, we're happy to, for God to punish someone like Hitler, but we're not so happy that he might want to punish us for the things we do wrong. If someone was to hurt Bex, my wife, if someone was to hurt Heidi, 
I would be angry, and I would want justice. And that's right, isn't it? If I didn't, I would not be a good father. I wouldn't be a good husband. I would want that justice. So maybe God is angry at sin, partly because he is a God of love. And love hates the things that are against that love and that damage that love. And so here, God shows a side of his character that is real, his judgment against sin. His judgment on the world of that day, which was living apart from him, living in unrighteousness, living in, in sin. Another word we don't always like to hear. And God punishes that generation. And it says in Matthew 24, Jesus says, about the day when he returns, you see, God punishes, he pulls out his wrath, he shows his anger in that generation. But then Jesus uses that generation in Matthew 24, 37, and he says, concerning the day and hour, this is the day and hour of his return, no one knows, no one knows when that will happen. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. So all the stuff we've just seen in that account of Noah entering the ark and the flood coming, everyone was just doing what they do. It's not even just about their sin. It's about the fact that they were just living their life without God. They were living their life away from God. And Jesus says they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other one left. Two will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So what Jesus is saying is that there will come a day when he will come back and he will do as God did in the days of Noah and will judge the world. It's funny, I was having a conversation in work with one of our nurses and he's quite intellectual. We had a really good conversation about how the Old Testament God is all wrath and anger, and the New Testament God is all love and peace and, and joy. And I was pointing out to him that you have a lot of the love in the Old Testament, and you also have quite a lot of the wrath and anger in the New Testament, as well as the love. And this is what we see. Jesus says one day he will return, as everybody's going about their business, marrying, giving in marriage, having children, working their jobs, and it will be unexpected, just like the flood. 
Now, how could the flood have been unexpected? Noah was telling everyone God was going to judge the world with a flood. We tell people Jesus is coming back, yet it'll be unexpected. Somebody wasn't listening or didn't want to hear. And he will judge the world, it says. But there is another side to the story, of course. It is a story of God's judgment. And God is perfectly within his right to judge everybody on the earth, then and now. He would have actually been within his right to not get Noah to build an ark and to let Noah die in the flood as well. Because Noah wasn't actually a good person in that sense. He was righteous compared to the people around him. He was righteous because he loved God. But he also got drunk and, uh, and ended up having to sleep and his sons came and covered him up because he was drunk. So, you know, we don't see him as a perfect person. But instead of judging everybody, everybody, including Noah, God says to Noah, build an ark. So it's not ju- there's not just judgment in the midst of God's judgment, in the midst of his wrath, in the midst of his anger at sin, God calls Noah to escape from that world, um, from that sin. He calls Noah to be saved. It's a call of salvation, really. It's a, in Noah's case, it's a physical salvation from the flood. And so Noah built an ark. There's his salvation in the midst of God's wrath and anger and judgment, in the midst of an angry God. There's the God of love and mercy that we've talked about today, building an ark and saving those whom he loves, those who love him, to be saved from that flood and to be protected. And it says that God shut the door. God seals in Noah and the animals. Have you ever wondered why Noah took animals, by the way? We we say, well, the animals are innocent, and I think that's a big part of it. Again, it's God protecting the innocent, the animals. But have you ever also wondered whether animals were also suffering under human sin? They were also victims of what was happening. And God gets them into the ark. He saves the animals too. The innocent, the righteous. And says, my judgment is coming. It's just and it's right. But you can be saved in this ark. Would other people have been saved in the ark if they'd listened to Noah? We don't know. We don't know. And it's not there. And I'm not going to make a statement on that. Have you ever thought about it? If other people had listened to Noah, would they have gone into the ark as well? Would they have escaped the flood? We don't know. Probably not, but we don't know. Um, I just like these questions. I just like asking, asking things that we don't always ask. And so God does not forget his mercy, his grace, his salvation in the time of his wrath. He doesn't forget 
his righteous people. So he closes the door and he seals them in. Safe. Safe from the flood and the judgment. And so I'm really glad David shared that earlier, that, that word that he shared about the picture he had of, of the fire and, and God's wrath and, and how Jesus was, was over us um, in that situation. I kind of asked him to share that. He told me at the start, but I'm glad you did because you weren't sure you were going to share it, were you? But I'm really glad you shared it because that's the image that I want to give you. Jesus is the ark that covers us from the day of God's wrath. He saves us. He made a way for us to be saved from the wrath of God, from sin, the way to make us new and to know him in order to be saved. Jesus dies of our sin, rises from the dead, ascends to heaven, reigns as king today, and will return. But on that day, those who are in Christ are safe from what will take place. We are protected from his wrath because we are his righteous children. So it holds no fear for anybody in this room who knows Jesus. And that might well be most of us. That day holds no fear, that, that, that day of judgment, that day of that end, last day holds no fear because we are in Christ. We are protected in that new ark which is Jesus from that day. Praise God. We are protected. He has saved us. He has given us righteousness that is not our own, but that is his. So we will not be judged on that day. But that day is still coming. And we don't do anyone any favours by pretending that this won't happen, by pretending that God doesn't judge people, by pretending that that this side of God isn't there. In fact, how much more do we understand his mercy and his grace and his love when we see what we are saved from? If God's just a nice, loving God, well, he loves everybody, well, isn't that great? But we're loved and saved from our sin so we can rejoice. So those of us who are believers... In this room today, you can rejoice. If you don't know Jesus, come to him. He's the only way to be saved from the coming judgment, from the next flood. It's not going to be a flood by water. The Bible says God said he wouldn't flood the world again, but from what that flood represents, the judgment of God, come to Jesus. He dies to save all who will believe in him from their sin. So if you don't know Jesus, I don't know who does and doesn't in this room. I know a lot of you. I know a lot of you are Christians. But if you don't, come to Jesus. 
Give your life to him. Turn from your sin. And if you do know him, rejoice. Remember what he's done for us. It's good for Christians to hear the gospel, isn't it? It's good for us. The majority of us in this room who are believers, it's good for us to hear the gospel again, to hear what we've been saved from. Preach the gospel. I think it's John Piper talks about preaching the gospel to yourself. Um, always reminding yourself of, of what we've been saved from and saved to as well. It's not just saved from, it's saved to. So be, be reminded, remember, rejoice again in the grace. A lot of what's been said today has been about God's mercy and his grace, his love. All of that in the light of the fact that you have been saved from his judgment. So rejoice again. Remind yourself. Keep preaching the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of what you have been saved from. And why Jesus came. I don't do this myself, but I've got to remind myself too, every day, just, just to say, thank you, Jesus, that you saved me. Thank you that I do not face the judgment because of you. And you never will. When you belong to Jesus, you never will. He keeps his children who are his. Doesn't let them go. You are saved. And of course, keep reminding people, keep telling people to come to Jesus. In whatever way you do that, I've heard people stand up and beat people over the head. You must be talking about Jesus all the time. And, you know, and it's got to be a certain way and a certain message. I would be happy to tell people about this if, the, if that's the opportunity that came up. But in whatever way, in whatever situation where you are, keep telling people, remember that the people around you who don't know Jesus, this is their faith. We don't like it. We want to shut it off. We want to pretend that they'll all go to heaven anyway. It's not what Jesus said. He talked about hell and judgment more than anybody else in the Bible. Anybody else in the New Testament, certainly. He really did. And so, it doesn't do anybody any favours to pretend. Keep remembering. I'll just remind you again that everybody you know who doesn't know Jesus, that's their fate. They need to hear about him. But you do that by being you. That's what I try and do. I pray that I get opportunities to talk about Jesus and I, I sometimes I take them and sometimes I chicken out. We all do. But where you are, who you are, with the gifts you have, telling people about Jesus so that they can be saved. And whether you tell them this, that there's a hell and they're going to be judged, that we don't do that much. And I'm not telling you you should do that. But whether it's this or something else, message of Jesus' salvation is for them. So let us remember that this morning. Remembering who we are, rejoicing in Christ, telling others about him. He is coming back. He is returning. He says soon, whatever soon looks like. Could be tomorrow, it could be in a thousand years' time. We really don't know. But soon. I want to pray. That's all I've got to say. I want to pray for you, um, for all of us. 
Um, and I also want to give an opportunity for people to respond if they want to. Would, would, if you can, would you stand with me, please? Yeah, let me pray for you, if, if you will. Um, Father, I want to thank you for every person in this room. And I pray you will continue to remind us of the gospel. Thank you that you have saved us from our sin, from hell, from judgment. Thank you that you do love us. You are love. That's not untrue. Remind us again, Lord, that we can worship you because of your mercy and your grace and your love. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord.